The rare disease community is inspirational, brave, and empowering. Welcome to Insightful Moments, My Vibe, from PTC Therapeutics. everyone, and welcome back to PTC's Insightful Moments, My Vibe, where we're elevating the voices of people within the rare disease community to inspire, inform, and comfort. My name is Paula Orendash, and I'm the Patient Engagement Liaison at PTC Therapeutics. Recently, we attended the 38th Annual Convention of the Huntington's Disease Society of America in New Orleans, where we spoke to many people who have been affected by Huntington's disease, or HD. HD is an incurable neurodegenerative disease that affects many different areas of the brain. Symptoms can vary, but usually involve a progressive breakdown of the patient's behavior, mobility, speech, and motor symptoms over the course of years or decades. Symptoms can begin to appear at any age, though they most commonly start in adulthood. Every child of a parent with HD has a 50-50 chance of inheriting the gene that causes the disease, so it can have a huge impact on families. HD can also affect younger people, which is known as juvenile Huntington's. Today, we give those who are affected by the disease a platform to share their stories about what it's like living with HD, being a caregiver of a loved one with HD, both adult and children, the impact on families and the generational component of HD, as well as the decision of testing or not testing. We begin our conversation today with April, who shares the challenges she faced in her testing journey. She also speaks about the difficulties of having to give up her beloved career working in the ER after her diagnosis and the duality of both hope and disappointment that can come with clinical testing. Welcome. Hello to our PTC Insightful Moments, my vibe. And we're so grateful that you came here today. Thank you for having me. So please introduce yourself and tell us all about you. I'm April. I live in California near San Diego. I'm a Nana three, a mom to two grown girls, blessed beyond belief, diagnosed, like I said, seven years ago. And I live my life in the moment. And I appreciate every single day. I still get mad. I still get (laughs) angry and I still have horrible days, but it's human. It's human. But when you talk to a stranger that doesn't know anything about HD, how do you explain it? A lot of times to closer people that I'm meeting in my life or that I can tell are going to be part of my life, whether it be friends, just that I generally have a piece of paper, flyer type that gives it a good breakdown. And I'll be like, here, don't make me explain. This is what it is. And a lot of people are just like, wow, 
you've said what you have and you've given us a description, but that pretty much tells it all. A lot of people don't understand at all. So when you do tell them it, it mimics the three components of Parkinson's, dementia, ALS. If I go out with friends and or be around people that don't know, I'll sometimes say, hey, I need your drink on the other side because I'm going to knock it over. I just always not so much advocate, but I'm when I'm in an environment instead of being embarrassed, or, I just pretty much make sure that, hey, that if I kick you under the table, this is why. If I knock my drink over, this is why. It's just a, it's just a messed up disease. There's no other way to put it. And how did we all know that Huntington's has a genetic implication? Mm -hmm. Can you tell our listeners what that is? The 50-50 down the line. It does. It it carries and there's the risk of just 50-50-50 all the way down the line. People, does it skip a generation? No, it's simply lotto. It's 50-50 all the way down. And parent to child, the... It, and I had always been asked that question, too. Are your kids at risk? Absolutely. It just continues 50, 50 all the way down. And that's another thing that people don't quite understand. And you learn to either explain it or not. But that's a fear. That is a fear. That 50, 50, the coin, that was my big fear when I was about to be told the flip of that coin. But yes, that 50-50 is another horrible existence because you're watching that coin be flipped out of somebody's mouth. Not just always a piece of paper. A lot of people do have that piece of paper and there's a lot of people that are in a situation or an environment that they are waiting for those words. I know for me, I was waiting and I was watching for that envelope to be opened and then watching her words. And, and there it was. She was the speaker of those words. And you're not ready for somebody to, to tell you that. It's, the 50-50 is very difficult. When you started to decide on doing genetic testing, mm -hmm. can you tell, describe what the genetic testing process was? At that time, when I had found out that my father had tested positive for this gene, I had no idea who to turn to, what to turn to. And I searched and searched for facilities or people or places that did this test. At that time, we just knew it as a test. What they were looking for, I had no idea. No idea. All I knew, positive, negative, that's it. I can look back at my dad and see what he had or what he was displaying. So there was some indication. Up what it was. I was unable to find anybody that did that testing. You, I would call regular neurologists and that we don't know what you're talking about. We don't provide that service. It was just doors constantly closed. And then I found out that the, a lot of the university systems were providing this. But the, the cost of it is outlandish. And that some of it was some universities were 1300 some universities were 300 it was all across the board and even at that time i thought how unfortunate how unfortunate for people that cannot afford this even i had to budget for it 
I had to put it into my budget to be tested. And the experience of it was awful. It, for me, it was awful. When I think about that from the very start that I had gone to one of the universities that was on the cheaper end of testing. Um, and for, for me now, that is something that's so important and that I advocate that somehow there needs to be a way that we provide free testing across the board. Nobody should ever be told, hey, pay me this for you to find out if you're living or dying. I, they give you a three-month waiting period from the time you are tested, whether it be blood or saliva. They give you three months a waiting period to find out if you really want to know. And now I find that's not even the case. And so during those three months, I'm like, this is grueling. What is this test? What is going on with me? I, I have no idea what this is. I said, I just want to know if I'm positive or negative, and then I can go my life from there. It was the day for me to find out. And I'd had my daughters there and even they didn't really understand anything that was going on. And this lady walks in and she opens up the envelope and simply says, I am so sorry, this is not the news we were hoping for, but you're positive. And she left. There, that she left. I, nothing, nothing. And at that point, I just walked off on my own. When you have those moments in life where you just, you can't cry any harder. And that's pretty much what I did. I just looked out the window and cried and I didn't want to talk to anybody that was behind me in my family. I was just, leave me alone. I just want to be left alone for a minute. But that was, my experience was not good. And I hope people understand that you don't have to have a bad experience. So, and now your, your children, what is their perspective on testing? When they found out, it, they pretty much ignored it. They just ignored it as if it didn't exist. And they did that for several years. Mom, we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to talk about it. And so then I just learned to just keep it to myself. And then as I progressed, finally started coming around. In seven years, I was since diagnosed seven years ago, obviously there's been tremendous growth. But I, I actually found her talking to another person that was sitting at our table. Um, and I'm like eavesdropping a little just to hear what they were saying. And, and she was telling this person that she was like, yeah, I didn't want to get tested. When I found out my mom was positive, I was angry. I didn't want to know that it was positive. And, and she said, I just ignored it. I just ignored it. And she says, until I had my son, and then once I became a mom, of course, my emotions changed, my feelings changed. And he was about two. And that's when she decided to be tested. And she's negative. Yes, just thank God she's negative. So that little boy that will be negative. The other one is a true gift. She is my little watcher. She will, I spend a great deal of time at her house and she'll be like, mom, you got some movements today. What's going on? Are you stressed? Have you eaten? Have you need a nap? Whatever. But she's my little at home advocate. Did you eat? Did you do this? And she has an 18 month old daughter 
And her and her husband agreed that she's not ready. She's 28. It's she already knows. She's the biggest support. And when it's time and her time, maybe never. Does the mom heart in me always concern every moment from the second I wake up to the moment I look at her to everything? Of course, I worry. I naturally look at her and be like, do I see any movements? Do I see any changes? Do I? But that's the mom. That's the positive HD person in me. That's the nurse. You just naturally learn to assess and look and. Oh. So let's talk about your career as a nurse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, tell us about that and the process of this diagnosis and your career too. What career? I didn't get to have a career anymore. I I have always been in the medical field. Like I said, I was a single parent. I just did to survive, make sure that kids were always taken care of and nonstop sports. But I was always in the medical field from, I think, my early 20s, and I'm now 50, that I had always been near the ERs or always having to go into the ERs. And I was always helping in there just because that's where I loved to be. And I was always encouraged to, you need to go be a nurse. You need to go be a nurse. And the opportunity came that I could do it. I could go to school. Got my career started going probably 17, 17 years now. Feels like forever. And towards the end, we started noticing, I started noticing, because in an ER, I was an ER nurse. And you learn in your job, there is no slow moment. You're constantly going. You have no idea what patients are coming in. And I started getting a little bit slower. I started questioning some things, and that was natural. Normally, you don't really have to question. You're just so used. And so towards the end, I would look at a medication, and I'd be like, got it. Okay, double check, triple check. And then it started just becoming a little worrisome. And it was probably, it was a year later that I had, that I found out. And the doctor at that point, the neurologist, he said, you're done. You're done. And that's pretty, that that comment was almost just as bad as being told you're positive. So what do you mean I'm done? And he's, you no longer be ER. You do yourself a favor, do your patients a favor. And he says, I trust you 100%. As a nurse, he says, I know you know what you're doing. He says, but that stress is going to be too much. And even then, I would just, no, you're not, you're not taking, this is like taking away my driver's license. You're not taking this away. And I agree. And I said, okay. And it's about a year for me to just settle. I wanted to, my end dream was to be a a trauma flight nurse. I would have been amazing. But that's, once you get your diagnosis, life changes. Your, doesn't seem like it and it doesn't feel like it in the beginning, but your life changes and your priorities change. And you just have to learn to smile and be happy and embrace the crappy days and (laughs) embrace the good days. But my career, I miss my career. I still am a nurse. I'll never give up. I work so hard that I'll never give up being a nurse. I'll I'll find my little ways, but I'm a, a field nurse or what they call a field nurse. And so I will 
go to the homes, uh, assess their assess their needs, and then implement a plan. And hey, I can still do that. Um, after a few days, I'm done. My brain, my body, and that's when my daughter will call mom. That's enough. You, <laughs> it's time to come home. But I miss a, a career. I do. I've just managed to find a different career, which is my kids, which is my grandkids. So that's my career. Talk to me a little bit about how you came to this amazing mental state of finding joy and finding happiness. I think that's a big journey. I think in my career, I saw so much stuff that people don't appreciate. I People don't appreciate what could be what could be and i do i look at the flowers i look at the sun even though it'll blind me i look at the sun i just like to if you ever just stop and look at the moon when it's full oh my gosh there's just so many designs in it that i just take i take the time to just do that even a day after having all the grandkids around i'm like go away and just you know take my time it's me and my dogs and yeah, we'll go for a walk and just smell the smells. And um, I think it's something along with having to learn embrace. I just had to learn to embrace. It's really, during all of this, I lost my father to the hunting, to Huntington's three years ago. I lost my father three years ago, January. And he was like my hero. I was the only child. I have no other family, like no aunts, uncles, cousins. It, it was just me, my mom and dad. And then ended up losing my mom to breast cancer a year ago. So when I say officially, it's just me. It's just me. So yeah, it's why I'm so close to my kids. And I still don't think, did I grieve my dad? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're at a conference where you're meeting a lot of people. How do you, what are your words to newly diagnosed families? Just breathe. Just breathe. Don't. I love this one. But we were all in these groups of these, all these Facebook groups. And I never had a chance to breathe. I never had a chance to breathe. And I, people just need to breathe. That same, just gosh, give me some space. Leave me alone for a little bit. Let me process process this before any of you do. Let me and respect that. Truly respect that. I understand families are scared and nervous and they should be. Absolutely should be because they're going to be in a fight for a long time. But it's, people always say, go live your life to the fullest and go do this and and. But for me, you're right. Absolutely. They're not mentally ready to go live their life. So the fullest, you just can't make that switch. So it takes time. It does take time because I knew it did for me. I wish people had told me, just breathe. I had to go back home and pretend like nothing had really happened. You're on a journey. It, it's just a road. And, and, and when you're newly diagnosed, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. You are not the only one that has been diagnosed positive. You're not the only one that is reaching for help and some guidance just to be able to 
sit back and just absorb. Oh my gosh, my life is about to change forever. Forever. I have no idea what I'm in for. And that's the everyday life. It, it is it, when you live with this, you don't know what is going to be in five years. You don't know. Are you going to be in a wheelchair in two years? Are you going to be in bed? Are you not going to be able to eat? Is your career going to be so bad? You're knocking over everything in the house. You don't know. I choose once I was able to sit back and breathe and be told you can't work anymore and all of that stuff is when I think I finally started uh, to see things different. I came here alone. I came here alone. You asked me six years ago, I don't, I'm not going anywhere by myself. I'm not even going to eat by myself. How would you describe the Huntington's community? This is my first convention, which it's been great. It, it has been great. Tired, probably nap for two weeks when I get home. <laughs> We're all here for the same reason. We all have family, friends, and people we know that are suffering from this. I wish it was like another three days. But I was thinking today too, in one of the classes, I'm like, because of being tired, I thought I got some movements. I can feel it in my limbs. And I was like, oh yeah, I forget where I'm at. Nobody cares. <laughs> when so for me, I was like, oh, let it go. <laughs> Just let it happen. <laughs> but I do. At being here at least you get to see, you get to see some tears, but for the most part, everybody's just been happy. Everybody's just been happy and with each other and it almost like a relief for people just to be able to get away and like they said, be with people that are, we're all alike from everywhere. Yeah, I, I wish they did it a, a few times a year. Is there anything that you would like to share that I haven't asked about? Joy of the little things. After you breathe, after you take some time, just enjoy. It's I know it's easier said than done, but if I see somebody at the store, it's the same thing. Hey, go look at that. You have no idea what's happening to me. It's not good, but just go look at that. Yeah, just embrace. Embrace what you've been given. It's a beautiful way of, of concluding. And I am so grateful for you to take this time. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Of course. It's so inspiring. And that's what we're here to do. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Next, we spoke with Yvonne. Her father's HD diagnosis was a shock to her whole family. She speaks of the love and support her mother has given to her father as his caregiver. She goes on to explain why she decided to get tested, how she feels empowered by being an ambassador for the disease, and why she wants to have children. I would like to welcome you to PTC's Insightful Moments, My Vibe. We so appreciate you being here. And I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell us all about you. Uh, I'm happy to be here and grateful to have this opportunity to share my story a little bit. Uh, my name is Yvonne Corrales. I'm 34 and I'm from Arizona originally, but been living in 
Southern Indiana for the past four years. We're meeting here at the Huntington's Disease Conference. Can you give us an understanding of your relationship with Huntington's disease? Yeah, my it was a big surprise for my family. It was not something that I grew up with. I was introduced to the disease because my dad had been acting strange. He'd been showing symptoms for probably 10 years before he had his diagnosis. He was in the Air Force. And when he got back from the Air Force, that was when we started to notice a slow buildup of change for him. And it wasn't until my summer of my freshman year of college that we found out that he had HD and that my brother and I had that chance of inheriting it as well. So it was just a big shock. (laughs) We didn't know his dad. My dad's from Peru and his dad passed away when a long time ago when he was really young and we never really knew what it was for because his parents were separated. And so I didn't really know where it came from or that it passed down. It was such a shock for all of us. And so he's in the end stages of that right now at an amazing nursing home. He's on hospice, but he's just still showing such joy each day despite all of it. And he inspires me and uh, he inspired me to um, find out my genetic status myself. So four years ago, I also found out that I had the disease as well. So it's very personal to me. If you were to explain Huntington's disease to a stranger, how do you explain it? I usually say that it's a neurological disorder of the brain. And I always do the typical, it's just like having ALS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and dementia all under one. And instead of affecting one part of the brain, it affects all of it. I mean, it affects a wide variety of areas, specifically your psychology, and like things like anxiety and depression, but also cognitive things like your thinking, your processing, your planning, your ability to remember how to do things, as well as your remembering what you're supposed to do and ability to do things, and also movement disorders. So I tend to talk about how in HD, it's an increase of unnecessary movements that increase more and more over time. But as you get progress further into the disease, your becomes actually less and less ability to move and to do Movements become almost hardly any. Like my dad right now is doesn't move, has doesn't, doesn't have any career. He's just doesn't really move a lot at all. You lose the ability to move and walk, do that. And my mom stayed from stayed home from work and took care of him as long as she possibly could until it affected her own health. Uh, and so he's been there for the past four years. And so yeah, it's just been a progression throughout that. We often hear how Huntington's disease really is an entire family diagnosis. And you mentioned your mom being that caregiver. Can you give the the listeners a perspective of what a caregiver does and has to do for a person who has um, Huntington's disease? With HD, they lose the ability to reason, the ability to make good decisions. And my dad definitely went through a time where he thought he had the perfect and everything was wrong with everyone else. It's just part of the disease where you think nothing's wrong with you. So She had to be so patient and help him still feel independent during that early phases when we had to slowly, she had to go through disability. It was hard for us too, because it was so late when he found out about the illness, getting disability. She was the one in charge of doing disability, helping him when he was starting to no longer be able to work. He had some accidents and things at work where he was just getting hurt and just wasn't safe for him anymore. She had to be around for all of that managing finances. And she was already the person who did a little bit of that in our family. She was already had a head type position in our family. 
because my dad was always gone in the military. So she naturally fit that role. My mom was very independent because she was a military wife. She knew how to take care of herself. And but so she had a lot of strength built up, but it was beautiful to watch, but also really hard. She had to be the one to advocate for him because in Arizona, Huntington's disease was so rare. And so there, anytime he had an appointment with a specialist, my mom had to constantly t- teach them what HD was while they were looking through their books to try and find out what this was. And she was constantly advocating for him and supporting him and taking him places and while also trying to help him feel independent when he could. I remember it was really hard when he could no longer drive. That was a big rough time for him and just her support of him loving him, but also, but now it's been so beautiful to see her love for him has only grown. And even though he's in a nursing home now and it's, it's really hard for her to be so far away from him, just her love and her service for him, she really laid down her life for her husband, knowing that he would do the same for her. And it has been just a beautiful example for me. She always inspires me for sure. It's a lot for a caregiver. A lot of her life is given. And we hear a lot in the Huntington disease community about being tested or not tested. You obviously chose to be tested. What did that process look like for you? Yeah. Like I said, my, I think I knew I wanted to be tested after my first conference. My first, because this is my third, but they've been really spaced out that I've gone to. So we went to our first and we got a scholarship as a family, maybe a year or two after we found out about his diagnosis because we had no knowledge of anything really HD. We felt so fresh and so new. And that was when I got to see the panel of people talking about it. And I knew then that I wanted to know. I didn't want to have the same situation as my dad, the scrambling for disabilities, the struggle to deal with work situations, the trouble with insurance, all of that. I wanted to understand. I wanted to know and I wanted to prepare because I felt like we just got hit sideballed with this disease. And I wanted little bit of control over something I have no control over. And I'm the type of person who wants to know and understand. I knew then that I wanted to get tested, but it took a while for me to get to that point. I wanted to finish school. I worked as a, I worked as a missionary, a Catholic missionary on a college campus for a few years as well. And that allowed me to spend a lot of time also building my faith and feeling like I had a strong enough foundation of faith to have the courage to know that I was supported not only by my family and my community, but also by my faith. That was my foundation in the midst of whatever this disease was, that I wasn't defined by this disease. It wasn't the root of who I was. I needed that. And that was what gave me courage after that mission time to get tested. Yeah, I, I chose to do that the end of 2018. So like then November. So I chose to do that then. And my parents came down for it. And to be honest, I already felt like I had it. I just knew in my gut, but I just wanted to know. And I'm really grateful that I do. So when you went, when your parents went with you to get the diagnosis, how was that news on your mom and dad? It was definitely really rough. Our families, I'm definitely the more emotional of our family. I'm the one that's very open and honest about emotions, but I also hide those feels to protect them. And I went in with such calm and peace while I was there, but I can tell with my mom, like she just... I don't know if my dad really understood what was going on when it happened. He was far enough along in the illness that I don't even know. If he, I'm just glad he was there, but I don't think he understood. I don't even know if he knows that I have it. But I was grateful he was there and supportive in just his presence. But I can tell it really affected her. And I felt, I tell my friends that I felt like a rose because I had all these friends. I actually told quite a few people that I was getting tested. 
because I wanted support. I wanted prayer because at the time I, my parents were living in Indiana and I was in Arizona. So I was living with my, on my own. So I wanted that support of friends. So I felt like a rose who had sprouted thorns and everyone around me was affected by that. Everyone who was close to me, holding me and supporting me were just pierced by the suffering, this cross that I had, that they were all shared a part of. And it was really hard. I think that was the hardest thing for me was knowing that it was going to hurt people that I loved and I could potentially not be able to be as present to them as I am now. Um, so yeah, it was definitely really hard on my mom, but she was also just very proactive and wanting to do whatever she could. So I love hearing that you were more concerned about everyone else's oh, yeah. experience than your own. Mm-hmm. When did you finally get to the point where you were like, okay, this is my diagnosis. This is my journey. How did that come about? That's been more recent. I think when my dad was no longer, when he went to the nursing home around 2020, 2021, I think was when I really started to make it more about me because you're so focused on your family, so focused on your dad and his needs and trying to be present to that. But once he was out of our personal care, even though I lived about, when I moved to Indiana, I lived about two and a half hours away from my family, but I still was there often. So once he was in someone else's care and my mom, because she was also someone I worried about, I wanted her to have a good community of support. And because when she's always taking care of him, it's hard for her to have friends and to spend time for herself. So that was my also second agenda. (laughs) After he, I wanted her, I was like, mom, go get involved at church, go join a small group or something to have that support. Once she had that, I was able to branch out and make it my own. And like I said, around Actually, I haven't said this yet, but around 2020, I discovered Champions for HD, which is a nonprofit that was a young woman started this who's we're very similar in our stories. And that was when I first started, wanted to do something more. I wanted to share my story. I was able to speak on their podcast and to just be a social media ambassador. And that kind of just gave me, empowered me in the disease and inspired me to want to be more vocal about it. Because when my dad had it, he was very, we were very protective and hidden. It wasn't something we shared with the world. So I wanted to be the opposite. Certainly being that support for everyone else. And so I want to know, what do you do for yourself? What does it, what's a Vaughn's day look like? What does your plans look like? Tell me about you. Yeah, I've decided that because with HD, even before I had it myself, you feel like you're a ticking dime bomb. Sometimes you feel like you're constantly looking at the clock, constantly Am I taking advantage of this moment? Am I taking advantage of this person I'm talking to? Because I don't know how long I'll be as present to them. And when I'm more distracted, I'm always thinking of that, trying to take advantage of the moment. So for me, just being radically available to people, because I'm also a single person right now. I'm not in a relationship, though I would love to be. But I try to use that time to be radically available to others when I can. And so I do, I love my job. I'm a youth minister and a director of religious education. So I get to work with teens and youth which is just so fun. And my job is, I this new job I've had for the past four years, they've been so supportive of my illness. I'm able to share my story. I actually met two other people in my church who have HD. And so I've also been just kind of mentors to them and been able to give them resources because they're also really new in the process. So it's been just such a grace to, to yeah. So my work really fills me with joy. And that's definitely a huge part of just getting to, to okay, I can still do this. And I want to be able to work and be independent. I like that I live on my own. I do have a roommate, but I, it's not always easy being far away, farther away. But I'm grateful for the time of independence while I have it. I spend time. A lot of my joys are just like I lead a small group of my friends 
of young adults like every other week and play cards. And again, I have a, an hour of prayer that I spend every week. And that's my time of just silence, my time of, because I like to do and go. And I'm very noisy normally <laughs> with music and distraction. So it's my time once an hour a week where I'm just in a chapel for an hour. And that is my root and foundation to the rest of the week and help my time to just talk about my HD and what I want to do. And yeah, it's very empowering though. When you meet young people and you're talking to them about the diagnosis and what do you think you're able to do to inspire them? I think a lot of it is just hope. And I, I want younger people when I encounter with HD to know their dignity and their worth is not on the illness. Although I struggle with these things myself. I need to hear just as much of what I say to others. But yeah, I always, those that I've encountered, again, just wanting them to know that they're not this illness. There's so much more, but also not to let the illness hold them back from things that they think they can't do. And also just to have hope. That's one thing the community has taught me is the HD community is a very life community. We love life. We, you see the dignity of life from, from our, our, our youngest all the way to our oldest. And it's so embraced. And I love that in this community, just the love of life and the dignity of people. And I think that's something that our youth get to grow in and get to develop more. And I'm grateful for that. You talk about hope and I think just the foundation for everything, right? Um, and we see what's going on with research. Tell me what, from your perspective, what when you see a room filled with all pharmaceutical companies and researchers coming and talking, how does that inspire you? What are you looking forward to? What are you seeing changes since you were diagnosed to now? Yeah, like I said, our family started out so private and so hidden from the world, right? And in Arizona, especially, we felt like just this rare little dot in the world. But when you come to these, like I said, it's been cool that my visits to this conference have been over between four years each time about, if not more. So I get to see great increases of things. And it's just, it just feels good to be seen and known and loved by the community here. I feel like the world is starting to see us follow. I see shows and actors and athletes who are just, and even reporters who are just showing and telling their story about HD. And that just, I think it's incredible to just be seen and known. In, in that you just look at look all these people care about me my my little insignificant self and my family who's been in survival mode for a lot of our life and hidden from the world sometimes but now we're seen and known and people are doing something about it and that just is awesome it inspires you when you go home I'm sure oh, after yeah. being we see such a you spoke about that very young to very old and every age in between affected by Huntington's disease when you have a chance to talk to someone who's perhaps maybe with juvenile HD, what are some of the things that you tell them or that maybe you had known as it wish you had known when you were younger? I have honestly had as much encounters with juvenile. There's a few that I follow on Instagram that I don't get to talk to as much, but they inspire me more. I feel like I learn more from the juvenile group. And the person who started the nonprofit that I've uh, been helping out with, her sister passed away from juvenile. And she actually wrote a book. Her name is Shelby Lenz is the name of the young woman who started this um, awesome nonprofit. So she actually wrote a book about her sister's life and in juvenile Huntington. So um, I definitely, again, would, if I was more encountering juveniles, just, again, just they're the ones that inspire me. I feel like I don't have as much to share with them as I haven't had as much opportunity with juvenile HD people, but they're the ones that I think inspire me the most. It's just their joy and their light. And I think they inspire me in the sense that 
Because for me personally, I know that I want to have children naturally, whether they have HD or not. I want to just leave that in God's hands and know that he's given me the strength to get as far as I have now with HD, that he'll give me the strength to endure whatever comes with my kids. And when I look at kids with juvenile HD, like I'm, it gives me hope. If my child has HD, like what an inspiration. You know, this, my friend Shelby, whose sister died, she started the nonprofit because of her sister, because of the death of someone who had HD so young. And we look at that and we're like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And it is, but it also brings such hope and such motion. I feel like every life has such purpose and you, I wouldn't want to hold back on my future children, what they could do, what they can inspire with the world. Because even my dad, who's you, to the society, doesn't look like he's going to offer much to society. He doesn't make money. He isn't a leader. What change in the world is my dad making? But he's the one who motivates me, even though he can't hardly talk and he needs help to eat and sleep and do everything. But he's the one that's bringing me into motion. So I personally, like juvenile people, HD inspire me so much. They give me a lot of hope. It's just a beautiful way to just wrap this whole story up. Is it, you, you amaze me, Yvonne, because you talk so much about everyone else, but I don't think you understand how inspiring you are. And I'm so grateful that you came and did this for us and sharing your story and about your family and your dad. And we, we just wish all the love and everything to you and your mom, your brother, your dad. And thank you so much for doing this for us. Thank you. It's been an honor. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Finally, we're going to hear from several members of a family affected by HD. Lori and her aunt, Jerry Lynn, explained the generational history of HD in their family and how Lori was able to help treat her mother's HD while shielding her from the knowledge that she had the disease. Jerry Lynn's daughter, Ellie, and Ellie's cousin, Kim, also joined the conversation, with Kim describing why she feels conflicted about getting tested after her father's suicide. Ellie tested negative for HD, but speaks about the guilt she still carries with her. First, I'd like to welcome you to our PTC Insightful Moments, my book. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Dan. Could you please introduce our, yourselves and tell us all about your family? Sure. I'm Laurie Higginbotham. My mother had Huntington's disease and passed away in 2018. She was the oldest of six. And this is her baby sister, Jerry Lynn. And she's going to explain how we discovered Huntington's was in our family. Uh, hello, I'm Jerry Lynn Peck, and my nephew, one of my brother's sons, was sick with Huntington's when he began at age nine, when he started seeing symptoms of something was going on. And then at 14, I think is when they tested him, and it was positive, and then he passed away at 17. And at the same time, we had my brother, who was symptomatic of the disease, and so we were trying to take care of him at that same time when he passed away. That's when the gene test came out. And I wanted to know immediately because I felt I had two daughters. I had nieces, nephews, siblings, and I just felt like it was important because we felt like maybe my brother was a spontaneous mutation of some kind. Anyway, my test came back positive. And I have two daughters, one of 
who is here today. And one of them tested positive, one negative. The one that's positive, she went through in vitro to have her child, so it will not pass from me. Also, I would add, when we discovered that it was even in the family and had never heard of Huntington's disease before, we tried to look back and figure out where did it come from. Yes. And my grandmother, my mother's mother, had committed suicide at age 49. And they believe that she was symptomatic, Mm -hmm. although they didn't know what symptomatic even meant at the time. And we didn't get a DNA test, but that's where we believe it came from. It's that line. And so we're, I'm one of six. I'm the baby of the six. Her mom was the oldest. So we've had a brother that's passed away, his son, my sister, her mom. And so we're hoping and praying that they can bring us a treatment. So I will say I have a daughter that has a learning disability. And at one point in this journey, my mother was, and I'll add to the story because I think this is an important part. When my mother walked through discovering Huntington's and watching what it had done to Richard, her nephew, and her brother, she just offhandedly said to my dad, I would never want to know. And if I did have it, I would just kill myself. And mother was late onset, so we didn't even see anything. Probably the personality changed at age 54. And then when she became physically symptomatic with some of the motor things, we were like, and she was losing weight and we were fearful. And so we had a doctor do a full physical, her thinking it was her thyroid. And he immediately came back to the family and said, she has Huntington's. And we were like, wow. At that point, my dad said, we are not ever telling her. I will come home and find her dead. And so we have gone to the HDSA conventions every year as much as we could. um, Years. For years. And we met a doctor who's, she was at Duke and her dad had died with Huntington's. And she advised us to treat her creatively, to find a doctor who wouldn't tell her. And so that's what we did. And we found a pill, a melt-away. And my dad would put it in her coffee every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, it really balanced her moods. It helped her with weight gain. And it really helped with the chorea. It was, for her, it was the perfect thing. And then also, she had lots of problems with her teeth. And so we wound up getting implant dentures, which I've talked to a lot of Huntington's families about that because a lot of Huntington's patients lose all their teeth. Mm-hmm. And then they can't eat properly and they're trying to swallow and you can't understand what they're saying. And those dentures really enabled her to talk longer, eat longer, and speak. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge blessing to all of us Mm -hmm. for her to have that. And so that those two things were a game changer for her. What a loving approach to care for your mom. And your dad, yes. the very end, too. Mm-hmm. She was had a very quality of life. She did. For people who don't understand Huntington's, it, it, I think they heard a nephew in your family. A brother. A sister. brother. And then mother, right? All different sister. age ranges, right? And probably mom. Very much so. And probably no. mom. Yep. 
Can you explain to people who are listening how Huntington's can affect regardless of age and what that looks like in a family? It's definitely been a puzzle because you look and you're like, with our family, when it was discovered by Daryl's ex-wife, because they had gotten a divorce, because she had reached a point because of the Huntington symptoms that she did not know her husband had, Mm -hmm. the cognitive part, the aggressive and volatile, he wouldn't get up and go to work, all the the cognitive symptoms that Mm -hmm. that you see in Huntington's were happening. Mm -hmm. And she's, what is wrong with you? I, I got to take care of my kids. And so she divorced him. In the meanwhile, he's symptomatic mm-hmm. and we don't know. Mm-hmm. And his son becomes That's very that. symptomatic mm-hmm. with juvenile. And then, <clears throat> boom, three yeah. years, he's dead. So we're dealing with Daryl's right. symptoms. And trying to learn about Huntington. And we didn't know. We didn't know. And then well, going to this funeral for this child so, that it was mm-hmm. just devastating and yep. shocking and and then you think you're in the clear like my mom she was 54 years old her mm-hmm. brother died at was daryl 54 he was 53 53 her brother was 53 when he died she didn't even get the first little symptom till his age till mm-hmm. 54 and so also i think a big issue is that we have a lot of family members her being the oldest of right. six mm-hmm. of at-risk individuals who are all right now, actually, we have family members that are here that are saying test or not test. Which, that And we respect their decisions and we support whatever they decide. Absolutely. Because it is a personal decision. And talk about that process, why we hear about to test or not to test. Mm-hmm. So people who are listening that are not familiar with that understanding of why yes or no to test, can you give the listeners an understanding of Why someone would test or not test? I would speak to, I was going into, my daughter had a learning disability. And so I was like, then I started studying and thinking she had it. And so I knew my mom had it. My mom didn't know she had it. I thought my daughter had it, which absolutely meant I had it. And so I went through this turmoil of, oh, dear God, Mm -hmm. how am I going to manage it? And so I decided to get tested. And I didn't have the repeat. I, I don't have the marker or whatever you call it. I'm not gene positive. And I've encouraged everybody after learning about it, from my perspective, to get tested just because years ago, there was nothing mm-hmm. that anybody could do. Now, there's so much that we're hearing about, just like what we did for my mom, medicines that can keep the symptoms at bay. Mm-hmm. for longer years mm-hmm. and give you quality of life. And and so for me, that's my advice is to test to know <clears throat> so that should you be gene positive, you can get predictive knowing your CAG repeats. Mm-hmm. And then you can also take medications that will give you quality of life for right. years to come. Right. I agree. But the opposite opinion is, <laughs> but the opposite opinion is that to not test, and mm-hmm. what would be that person's perspective? Yes, and our niece Kim, Kim is here. She's our niece. dealing with that right now. Is she yes. facing that decision uh-huh. now. She is. Mm-hmm. She's trying to decide. She doesn't know what to do. And we were telling her that we support her. She can speak to that. Yeah. She just lost her father mm-hmm. to suicide last year, and he was never tested. And that was my mom's brother. And that was. Your- so we know that suicide's a high rate. 
Very, mm-hmm. for Huntington's disease. And but I, he was 78, so then he may not have had it. He may just have. We don't know. We have no answers. That's mm-hmm. right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, you you Thank ladies you. are lovely. and uh, Well, and we appreciate all that y'all do. Thank you. Very much. Thank you. What would you say to researchers out there on behalf of your family? Mm-hmm. And That's other- what I would say to the researchers. And just please keep going. Yeah. I, I <laughs> and we say, support you. And we'll do. Up. Yeah, please don't. don't. Give up. And I, I have a, a brother who chose not to be tested. And um, he has three daughters that are, are at risk. And that's always on my heart and mind. And yeah. we want to find a cure. Yes. There's so many people at risk. And we met another family with 10 siblings and that whole six out of 10 and then all of those children and grandchildren. And mm-hmm. so research is so important. It sure is. And, and coming to the conventions. Yes. Meeting other families and having the support because you feel isolated. Yes. In the beginning, I just remember feeling alone. Oh, my God. I'm there's nobody else in my family been tested at the time. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've got to be around somebody else. It's, I don't know what I'm doing or what I'm thinking. And then going to the convention, the first one I ever went to was great. Meeting other families and supporting them, too, just like we're doing, because we just love everyone. But the learning is so <laughs> yeah, important. It is very. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank, yeah, thank you for having part us. of us learning, right? Yes. It's from thank all you. of you. Thank yes. you very so much. Thank you. thank you. Thank you so much for being here on our PTC Insightful Moments, My Vibe. And we'd love to have you introduce yourself and tell us about you and your family. I am Eli Rice, and my mother was just up here, Jerry Lynn. I have one sister and married, got two kids. And this is our cousin, Kim. I'm Kim. I'm from Texas, not like my Georgia family. I have a little bit different story than uh, they do. I grew up in Texas uh, with the Georgia family, my dad's side being in Georgia. They saw more of the Huntington's, the, the stuff that they went through, more than I did. I was around my aunt, Laurie's mom, and saw that. And in the meantime, I, in Texas, was dealing with Parkinson's with my grandmother. And so I dealt with that, and they were dealing with this. And then my dad committed suicide last April. So that became uh, a bigger red flag for me to know more, learn more for my family, for me, for my family. But I have not been tested yet, so I'm just absorbing right now, and that's where I'm. I'm so sorry about your hearing that. Can you give the listeners an understanding of the impact of this disease on a person and why suicide is at such a high rate? My grandmother, her grandmother too, committed suicide, and I'd heard my whole life from my dad about suicide. And then I learned from Jerry Lynn and Eli and Laurie, and that was one of the big symptoms is depression, suicide. I did not think that my dad had Huntington's. I still don't know, but he did commit suicide. That brings a different light to everything. And that kind of is making you now face these this process of deciding to test or not to test. And I hear a lot about that education here at the convention. Yeah. Where are you in this process of thought process? There's a lot of thought processes going on in my brain. <laughs> There's a lot of things. 
a part of me. First of all, let me say that when my dad died, I uh, I was asked when the first hour to two hours about testing. That's not the first thing that I thought of at that moment. Giving a yes or a no or a whatever at that moment was or wasn't the best idea. I don't know. I can't go back in time and change that. I also don't want to make a decision still grieving that would possibly throw me over the edge, if you will. I have three grown children, and I just don't know yet. My my youngest daughter uh, definitely wants to be tested. I've talked to her and asked her, when you decide to do that, give me a heads up, because it does affect me. I'm a work in progress. And I I don't think many people understand that kind of impact, right? For that's a monumental decision. And but it sounds like you have an amazing support system. Yeah. Heck yeah. I I came into this was the first step. I've never been to a convention before. Saying, okay, I'm gonna take the plunge, I'm gonna do this. I wanna learn more. I wanna learn more for me, but I wanna learn more for my family. I'm a member of this family, so I want to know how to help, even if I do or I don't have it, or my dad did or didn't, I don't know. But knowing that it is a part of my family, I want to be a part of that and learn more. So let's talk um, about you and your sister. Can you give us some? (laughs) I can't remember how old I was when my mom told us that she was a carrier of the Huntington's gene. But I do remember my reaction, and it was not good because I had watched my uncle. I had grown up with a cousin that had died, and I was really mad. I was mad at her for being tested. I was mad at, I guess, everything about it. And then as I learned more about the disease and how... It affects different people different ways. It was a lot of information at the age that I was at when she was tested and she told us that she was carrier. But as I got more educational, I ended up getting tested right around the time that I got married. And it was a pretty lengthy process. You go and you have genetic counseling and Then you go back and you have the test and then you go back again and they talk to you and they're basically getting you prepared for whatever your results are. And they want to make sure that you can handle your results regardless of what they are. And they told us the results. And even though I was very excited that I didn't, I wasn't a carrier at the same time, you still have a guilty feeling that you're not a carrier. I don't know how really to explain that, but you do. You have this little bit of guilt that, okay, so my mother is a carrier. I'm not a carrier. I have a sister that hadn't been tested at the time. All of that goes through your mind while you're sitting there and the lady is telling you your results from your test. I decided that I would just get more, as much information as I could on research and treatment, and medications, and how they're absorbed in the body, and how fast they metabolize, and how 
And that's what made me go into the medical field for work. And then my sister was tested and I went with her when the day that she got her results. Even though they didn't turn out the way that we wanted them to, she's done everything in her power to make the disease stop with her kids by doing IVF. If one thing that is a blessing for my mother is that her grandchildren, their children, everybody else, that's it. They won't have it. You don't have to worry about it. It's beautiful that when you said, I went with her for her results, I imagine you were the most important person in the world to be with her for that moment. Hopefully. (laughs) But it was not what I was expecting. That's my younger sister. So I am learning, and so I want others to learn, too, that the miracle of then having that answer, but then for her to have children through IVIG, that changes the whole trajectory of this diagnosis. Yeah, it's a game changer. We have, I mean, I wrote it out last year. Last year was my first convention in Atlanta, and it was great. This one's been great as well. Out of our family, there are 23 people that have been tested. Are uh, They're at risk, and there's 23. That's a lot of people in one family. That's, and if they decide to test or they decide not to test, that's an individual decision. Regardless, either way, we would support them. If they ever started having symptoms of Huntington's, we would do anything in our power to help them. That's just, that's how we are. And I understand wanting to test. It's a big decision. It can affect your life. It's going to affect you one way or the other, regardless of if you test or not, to me. Because even if you are negative, there is someone in your family that is not. That's why I feel like it would affect you regardless of if you test or not. And it sounds like regardless of your testing status results, it's all of you are in this together. Yeah. All of you, regardless, right? Yeah. And that's beautiful to see such an amazing, loving family doing all this and coming to convention and supporting each other. And everyone's at a different part in your journey, too. So if you had any words you would like to say to those researchers fighting for you and your family, what would that be? They said it best, all of them. Keep going. We'll do what we can on our side, including me. They need to keep going to help all the families that I've learned about just in this very short journey that I've had. Right, and keep looking out of the box. It seems like to me the ones that are really successful are they're not in your normal pathway. Keep looking outside of that normal because it seems like those are going to be more effective. Well, thank you again so much. This is so beautiful. What a beautiful family and a beautiful story. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Insightful Moments, My Vibe, and for supporting voices within the rare disease community. Thank you as well to everyone who shared their stories on today's episode. 
please visit our website www.ptcinsightfulmoments.com for more stories and resources. If any of the stories resonated with you today, please let us know by leaving a review wherever you are listening or by sharing this show with a friend. I'm Paula Orendash, and this has been Insightful Moments, My Vibe from PTC Therapeutics.